Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 63 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and on this episode, what matters is the 2015 majors as we catch up with BBC golf correspondent Ian Carter, whose recently released book, simply titled The Majors 2015, is a must-read for any genuine fan of the game. There's no question last year was one of the most memorable in golf, and that was in no small part due to the drama we saw at each of the game's four biggest events. We'll introduce introduce Ian in just a moment, but first, my co-hosts, as always, from the US, blogger, critic, author, Golf Channel regular, etc., Jeff Shackleford. It's been too long, Jeff. Looking forward to chatting with you and Ian today. Yes, as am I. I think he uh, has. We we need to celebrate a year like this. It was a special year, and and we're so caught up now in golf and moving forward, and 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 everybody's promoting and and pushing. And uh, when we have a year like this, it's great that somebody like Ian's written a book that we can celebrate. And we can all sing from the same song sheet, Jeff, which is <laughs> so. Thank you for bringing up some of those wonderful marketing sayings from here in Australia. Former touring pro turned columnist, critic, course architect Mike Clayton. Clayton's looking forward to chatting with you today. It's been too long, and also with Ian. I know that you have an encyclopedic memory of everything that happens in the majors, going back about forty years. So uh, it'll be terrific to get some of your thoughts today as well. Thank you, Rod. It'll be interesting, of it- course. It always is. And finally, though, most importantly to today's guest, and if, like me, you've ever tuned into the online radio coverage of the Ryder Cup or the Open Championship, you'll be more than familiar with the voice of Ian Carter. Ian's been a BBC Sports correspondent for, I think, more than 20 years, golf correspondent since 2003. He's written, I think, three books, including his most recent, The Majors, which we'll chat about today, but no doubt lots of interesting other stuff will come up as well. Ian, it really is a treat to have you join us, and thanks for taking some time. Well, thank you very much indeed, Rod. I'm a, I'm a, a very enthusiastic listener to this podcast, so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to bits to be here. So <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm sure you, like both of our other listeners, have been waiting for episode 63 with bated breath. It's <laughs> taken us longer than we hoped to get to, but it was a bit hectic with the Australian summer of golf. And then, of course, prior to Christmas, all, all things are always difficult. So terrific to have you early in the new year. And I wanted to start by asking you with the book, and as, as Jeff said there, last year in the majors really was an epic one, and it was something... Majors are always special, but it really was a special kind of year. The book reads as though you kind of figured that out before the year started and had this in mind uh, to write at the start. Is that the case, or was that just have you just done a terrific job of making it feel like you realised <laughs> no, it was no. going to be something special? What what happened, Rod, was uh, I, the the previous year I, I wrote a book uh, around the the Glen Eagles Ryder Cup, uh, and the publishers Elliot and Thompson, at the end of that, then came to me and said, "Listen, we've had an idea. How about doing something on the majors uh, in 2015?" Uh, and to be honest, I was I was slightly apprehensive because uh, you know writing a book on top of the day job um, does take a lot out of you. Uh, it takes a lot out of family life, and it, it, it's it's a big commitment. But but then I looked at it, and 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 looking ahead to to the majors. You had McElroy going uh, for potentially a career grand slam at Augusta. Uh, Chambers Bay intrigued me as to what sort of golf course it was going to be and how they could take a U.S. Open to such a young uh, golf course as well. The Open was at St. Andrews. That's always going to be very fertile for stories. And let's face it, Whistling Straits hasn't, ha- hadn't let us down in the two previous PGAs that were staged there. So I kind of had an inclination that it would be a very, very interesting year. But of course, the way that it panned 
turned out was was nothing like how I was envisaging it beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, it was utterly, utterly captivating. And you know, and I'm not saying this because I've written a book about it, but certainly in the time that I've been golf correspondent for for BBC Radio, I think as a collection of four majors in one year, uh, that this was the best that that, that I've encountered. Oh. I think most people would agree on that. So in some ways, I guess you got a bit lucky, Ian. But it, it just strikes me as you were talking there. It's funny how we forget what we were talking about at the start of the year, isn't it? As you say, McElroy and the Grand Slam was all the talk virtually from this time last year right up until the Masters. By the time we'd got to the end of Chambers Bay, it was completely forgotten. Speed changed everything, didn't he, with that Masters it- win? Oh, he, he most certainly did, and and then of course was able to kick on and and win um, perhaps slightly fortunately at, at Chambers Bay in the sense that that Dustin Johnson had that opportunity on the seventy second green and and, and then three putted, uh, which which gave the the victory to to Jordan Spieth. But hang on, he birdied the last and came up with the lowest score over seventy two holes, uh, and and really just took the. The game by the scruff of the neck, and and I know that you know Jeff has has mentioned it a lot on on his blog, and you guys have talked about it a lot. But when you consider how close he came at the Open Championship, just one stroke out of being in the in the playoff, including those four putts on on the eighth in the final round, um, and, and then coming second to Jason Day at the PGA, what a body of work that was from Spieth throughout 2015. But even so, you know, Jason Day came through as, as such a superstar in that year. And, and, and McElroy, somewhat self-inflicted, uh, of course, with the, the, the ankle injury playing football, but was, was left trailing in their wake. Um, but I, I just felt that it was a year of, of generational change for, for the game of golf. I, I think we, we, we sort of escaped the Tiger Woods era last year uh, and, and can now look, I, I think, you know, going down, if we... If we sort of gathered again in 10, 15 years' time, I think we would look back and say 2015 was the year that golf moved on and we went into a new era, the year of Spieth, the era of Day and, and of course, a continued era of, of Rory McIlroy. I think there's probably most would agree with that. Just to go to the majors, Clates, I'll ask you about this because I know you've, you've been such a keen watcher of the game and obviously having played the game at the highest level over the years. Your take on 2015, where it sits as a year, did we see something special last year or are we just caught up every year in the hype of the majors and we think we're seeing something special when not necessarily we are? What was your take on 2015 and where it sort of fits in the, the great years of major championship golf? Well, it's true. I, mean, I thought Spieth was the most interesting because he doesn't look any different from any one of 80 other players on the tour where Day does and McElroy does and Nicholas did and Tiger did, but Spieth looks just like a, another player. So, he interests me the most in, in how he's managed to become the best player in the game through another way, which is breaking the game down and figuring out what really matters and getting it done. So, so he's the most interesting player to me. I mean, it's obvious why Day's a good player, McElroy's a good player, but it's not obvious why Spieth is. Mm. And I watched, him, I watched him play three rounds at the Australian Open. He played with Ogilvy at the Australian Open for three days, and Ogilvy bit him like a drum from tee to green, and then... He holed that seven iron on the on the fifty third hole and buried the last. And all of a sudden, he was he was four shots ahead of him. Jeff three putted sixteen. He was four shots ahead of him. It was just amazing how it happened. He just hit one great shot, and so I mean, he obviously finished up not winning on the last day. But um, it was the first time I'd watched him play, and I thought he was a really fascinating player to watch. 
it, it, it's it's not as tidy as you'd think either, is it, Joel? I, I watched him too at the Australian Open. It, it's not as tidy as you expect. You expect a player that doesn't have the huge shots, Clades, would be extremely tidy, lots of fairways. But he hits his fair share of bad shots, doesn't he? But he's got that yeah. something intangible that the greats seem to have, as you say. There's no quit in him, but there's something more, isn't there? There's, there's something special there that you can't really well, put your finger on. Well, he keeps doing it. Yeah. You know, it would be fine if it was just a one-off or – but, you know, and you think, well, can he do it again this year? But it would amaze you if he didn't do it again this year. He obviously understands the game on a very sophisticated level and he, and he plays it brilliantly mm. without, as I said, looking like McElroy, where we, we can see why he's a good player. It's obvious, but he doesn't appear that obviously good, but he clearly is, so it's – yeah, you know, it, it, it interests me how he does it. Indeed. Jeff, one of the things that strikes me sort of looking back at that and listening to Ian and Clates there talking about what we saw unfold last year, it should have been all about Jordan Spieth, shouldn't it? But it, it really wasn't, was it, interestingly enough? It was a lot about Jordan Spieth, but I guess one of the interesting things about 2015, two majors and five wins and the FedEx Cup and all the rest of it, but he wasn't the only legitimate talking point in golf. And maybe that's what's most interesting about last year. Well, especially going into the Open Championship, the, the thought that we had somebody win the first two majors, it seemed like in the past that would have been an enormous story. And maybe just because there were different things going on in, in sport or uh, Rory took away a little bit, uh, I, I don't know. But it seemed to me that actually the buildup to the Open uh, was not as uh, as great as I thought it would be. Perhaps maybe because he didn't arrive till till Monday afternoon, maybe if he'd been there earlier. But it just didn't seem like the world of sports uh, took notice the way I, I think they would have had it been Tiger, and that just may be because Tiger was different. Um, so uh, that that was, and that that's just kind of uh, maybe going to be the nature of things going forward, and and that's okay. I don't think it should be focused on one player. It's nice that we're seeing some uh, a variety of different playing styles and looks and and personalities, and and I think that's I find that more interesting, frankly, than uh, than than just one or two people that we're relying on to, to get us excited about the, the majors. Or for those of us of a certain generation, Jeff, one person for most of their professional careers. And I guess, Ian, 2003, you started as the golf correspondent of BBC. I'm sure you followed the game before that. Tiger Woods was such a once-in-a-lifetime, maybe once-in-two-lifetimes sort of a, a force, wasn't he? He did, he did actually change the game in a lot of ways. The, the players we see today very much inspired by what he did with fitness, and we know the technology in the game's changed and whatnot. What's your take on what we might have seen? Had it been Tiger Woods who'd won the first two majors of the year, do you think, like Jeff, it would have been a different sort of conversation heading to the Open than what we saw with Jordan Spieth winning the first two majors? What's your take on, on what's changed in that sense about the talk about the game since, since it's not all about Tiger anymore? Uh, undoubtedly, had, had it been Tiger Woods who'd won the first two majors, given all the backstory and the fact that it's Tiger Woods, it would have been a, an immense story and the buzz around the Open Championship would have been that much greater. But, you know, that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's almost a side issue. Oh, just, oh, just one sort of little observation, actually, with regard to the Open Championship on, on my theory on, on why it didn't have that much momentum uh, heading into it, certainly from a, from a British point of view there are a couple of couple of things one the McElroy injury um, I, I think that had a, a, a bit of a dampening effect but also the fact that Wimbledon had been moved back 
and and going ah. forward will 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 mm. continue to be moved back a week. There, there's mm. no run up. There's no there's no oh it's Scottish Open week. It must be the Open the following week. Yes, the Scottish Open is there, but no one's noticing it because the biggest Scottish sports star is is playing tennis down the road at Wimbledon, um, and that is a problem I, I think for 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 golf going forward and certainly golf in in the UK. Um, but going back to your original point, Rod, uh, about Tiger Woods, uh, he is still someone who, who, who wags the needle more than, than anybody else. And, and it's simply because he is the most extraordinary figure that, um, that, that we've known in, in the game of golf. And I, I think we've all been writing that, you know, in the wake of his or to, to, to mark his, his 40th birthday. Um, and 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 it's it's golf's challenge to sort of emerge from from that shadow, and I I think and you you touched on that point brilliantly. I thought that, that the current guys at the top of the game are are almost like the metaphorical offspring of Tiger Woods, if that's not too unfortunate a phrase. You know, they they have modelled themselves on his athleticism, his fitness regime, his practice kind of regimes, and and these are the kind of players that 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 Woods has spawned because. That's how he went about the business, and it was different. He he took what Greg Norman was doing and Nick Faldo was doing, and and took it to a whole new athletic level. and And now we're seeing the likes of Day and McElroy, and and to a similar extent, Spieth doing doing something very very similar. Mm, indeed, I want to come back to the book, Ian, because it, it, it reminds me. It's a little bit retro. I mean, fifty years ago, you used to get these wonderful reviews of the majors that would come out three or four weeks after the tournament was over because you didn't have television coverage and none of that sort of live shot by shot and they give you the blow by blows and the you know what happened on day one and what's going on halfway through round two we lose a lot of that with television we get the excitement of of watching it unfold but we all sort of forget things as the excitement keeps building and you forget about the amazing shots that happen one of the great things about what you've done it's almost that retro feel of that they're just long-form essays about the tournaments themselves. Take us through your memories of what you remember from the Masters, because having written the book, I guess, you probably remember it differently because you'd have been taking much more notes as you went along than probably the rest of us were just doing it day to day. And just that the ability to do that long form of what things are like at the end of day one, how they stand halfway through round two, the, the critical moments that we forget from early in the event. Well, well, certainly from from my point of view, Rod, you know, I'm I'm actually commentating on the radio on 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 each of those days anyway. So uh, I, I'd be I'd be lying if I uh, if I told you I was taking comprehensive <laughs> notes as they, as it was going along because I, I I simply couldn't do that. So it's a case of of really trawling back through through the videos and the, and the reports and what guys have have said and and then making that tally with with my kind of of memories of of what's what's gone on and 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 yet then you were kind of unearthed stuff that you didn't actually know at the time had had happened which is is really the the big fun part from from my point of view you know things like um the way that billy horshaw was reacting in the opening two rounds to what jordan spieth was doing and and you know sort of almost he, he said at one point you know i've i've got um i i've got the words uh, good shot, Jordan, on speed dial now because you know it's just yeah, nice birdie. Uh, let's move on. Um, and you know th- things like that that were that were going on. Um, I, the thing that that really struck me about that Masters, aside from what Spieth was doing and the composure of what he was doing, was the way that they set up the golf course. If you remember, you know Tiger sort of finished his first round and said, "Well, it's not like it like it should be. It should be firmer. It should be harder. They, they should get." the sub air on you know this this isn't a proper masters was the intimation 
of what what he was was saying. But to me, they set it up perfectly for whoever was going to play the best golf to prosper. And if you remember back to the the Saturday when Spieth had that huge lead coming down uh, 17, double bogeyed 17, and then missed the green to the right on 18. And and there was a real prospect that this huge lead was going to disappear to a a very small margin heading into the final round. And who knows what the psychological uh, implications of that were. And he had that devilishly difficult-looking pitch. Michael Michael will be able to tell us how, how difficult it was. And it probably wasn't as difficult as it looked. But one of the reasons it wasn't was because the green were that bit softer and more receptive and a well-executed chip from that point was enabled him to get up and down and make a a sensational par in all the circumstances and that to me was the golf of a champion and the fact that the course was set up to allow him to do that it doesn't matter who did it but it it was him and he went on uh, to win and and I thought that that was really really refreshing and and almost set the tone for for, for the majors throughout the year in, in that they were played on golf courses where the best players could really express themselves. Mm. That shot, that's, it might have been the shot of the year, mightn't it, that flop yeah. hit on Saturday night, which is extraordinary to think that it could happen in the third. How difficult is that to play that shot under those? It's probably harder on Sunday as a pro. I mean, it takes some pretty keen hands. And sort of your take on the way the course was set up and the way the Masters unfolded, your recollections of all of that. Um, tell you that I don't remember the tournament that well, which is... I shouldn't admit that, but um, <laughs> I do remember that. It, it was a great little, you know, it was way high, high above the green, the green going away. It was a great little pitch, and, and it was a great putt too. I mean, he made it. It was a seven-round mm. putt. Right foot, yeah. So, you know, that was in a, a little bit what I was talking about before. He had a, you know, a miserable second shot. You know, it was a bad thing. It wasn't as wide as Norman's was in 86, but it was pretty wide. And then, he, you know, it was just a great four he made where, you know, lots of players would have made five and, he was two ahead in instead of one, I think, wasn't he? Didn't he have a two? No, I think it was more than that, actually. It um, was more than I he think it took, him, it took him, yeah, but it took him back into a four-shot lead going into the final round, wasn't yeah. it, I think? I, it was I, terrible. I, I <laughs> either way, it was... Um, but either way, it gave him that breathing space, and it was it was part of the hallmark of the way that he won that Masters. That whenever anyone got close to him, I likened it to a to a rugby player just you know sticking out his hand and fending off the tackler and and, and yeah. continuing to to make progress. And 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 that was the way that he he went through the entire tournament. And you think how well. Justin Rose played uh, over those four days. Phil Mickelson, very, very spirited coming through as well. But he was just a a class apart. But my point was that if the course had been set up so hard and and the green so hard and unreceptive, then it didn't matter how talented he was over that shot. The best he could have done was give himself a putt across the whole green to save the par. Mm. So, you know, he was able to demonstrate uh, his skills through the course setup, which I I thought was really refreshing. Yeah, indeed. Just on that Masters and Tiger, uh, and he he said in the wash up that, you know, it was good to be in contention. I don't think anybody genuinely thinks he was ever really in contention, but it was a pretty, it was an interesting performance. He really played some incredibly poor and some incredibly brilliant golf in almost equal measure, didn't he? He was, a, he was maybe the most interesting player of the week, speed aside, at Augusta. Oh, he was, uh, particularly when you consider the months that had followed before where um, you know, we, we went on what was um, rather harshly termed in the, in the media uh, room, but 
it was it was yip watch um we were going out there to see whether or not he could still chip um and and in the practice round that he played with marco mira we went out onto the practice range when he, he just sort of uh bowled up and just and the first thing he did was just go to the short game area and drop the balls down and start hitting them and and I, you know i've never seen a crowd like it around the around a practice uh area um because this was this was this wasn't just this wasn't coming back from injury this was coming back from from loss of form and and complete loss of form and and here he was taking on taking on that comeback in front of the the eyes of the world at, at the most glamorous tournament in the world um it was uh, it it was a really i thought an extraordinary performance from tiger woods what did he finish 17th something like that 17th. Uh, you know so um and and yeah, and of course, there was drama along the way, and the, the way that he reacted when he hit the roots on the ninth with his second shot, and they thought, "Oh my goodness, here we go again, another another injury." But uh, you know, there's a bit of me that thinks, "Well, he he likes a bit of drama like that." You know, he sort of plays to it a little bit, and and then con- continued on his way. I thought it was a great effort from from Woods that week. I, I, I really did. It was exciting, wasn't it? He played some horrible golf and some amazing recoveries yeah. at the same time. Jeff, it was a real statement from Woods, wasn't it? Uh, uh, first practice day at Augusta, marches to the pitching area with a bag of balls and a massive crowd, puts the headphones in and shows off what was a clearly <clears throat> fixed short game. He played some incredible pitch shots. I mean, one into the 11th off the back right of the 11th. I think it was in the first round, which was not the shot of a yipper. No question about that. It was quite the statement he made, wasn't it? Yeah, the thing that's fun reading, uh, I just read Ian's chapter on the Masters and uh, you've, you've realised so many little things happen in the course of a major championship week uh, that at the time maybe you don't realize the the little mini dramas and how they all add up and uh, then you're able to step back. That's what's fun about his book is that you kind of now look back and the Masters, uh, I'm with Clates, I've already forgotten a lot of the things that went on and uh, I think that was the most surreal moment of the year because it was staged, it was, um, it was he knew exactly what he was doing, he was so happy and he's listening to music and he's got his kids out there and he's greeting them on the range and uh there were so many strange elements to that whole thing uh and someday maybe we'll 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 know more but probably not uh what was behind all that but um uh but that's that's the beauty of a book like this i'll be be reading that chapter again before the masters is coming here just because um uh it was such a historic week and i know we're going to be talking a lot about it and and the uh um and the golf course I, I, it'll be very interesting to, to see what they do with the golf course because it just has gotten so green and soft. And and what Ian referenced there with Tiger's comments, I think uh, uh, it ended up not tainting the championship, but it's it's kind of a unfortunate trend for Augusta, I think, uh, when you look back at where it's gone and, and now how green it is and how soft it is. Mm. Have we got time to talk about the course? Again? We don't, do we? We could be here all day, couldn't we? Oh, we could, yeah. <laughs> I would, I would, I, you know, when, when you read the chapter, you get, the, yeah, you get thinking right. of these uh, elements that go into these events. And, I, you know, the one thing I would say about the, the book and the year, Rod, and maybe Ian can touch on this, but um, I think what made this year special, I was when you asked Clates about how this one adds up, I started looking at recent years on the in the majors, and uh, there have been a lot of great years, but then you start looking at each one and you think, God, that, well, that was actually kind of a downer, uh, even though that's a great winner. Uh, this one, it, you felt like the, the, the ingredients were there and then the events lived up to, to the hype. Is that kind of maybe why this one feels special? 
to anyone? I think, yeah, I, I, I agree, Jeff. I, I think, uh, I, I think that, that you know there was a, a sense of expectation there, undoubtedly. But each and every one of those those majors was 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 thrilling. Um, even you know, even though it was a very emphatic victory for Jordan Spieth, the, the manner of it, the style of it, the the nature of the chasing pack, the fact that he kept fending them off, had to do things to fend off those chasers. Uh, was was sensational. You went to the, the U.S. Open, and you know Chambers Bay. That's a whole different. That's a whole conversation in in its own right. But as a competition, and the way that the, the that it shaped up on that final day, uh, you could not take your eyes from it from from start to finish on that on that Sunday at Chambers Bay. Spieth, of course, emerged as the winner. And then you had a five-day Open Championship at, at St. Andrews, all that was entailed there, settled by a, by a playoff. And, and then, you know, for me, Jason Day just putting an exclama- exclamation point on the year with his victory at the, at the PGA, given that he was flat on his back with vertigo at the, at the US Open and still managed to have a share of the league going into the, the, the final round. You know, there, there were so many extraordinary stories there that that complemented the golf, which was was fantastic uh, throughout the, the, the four majors. Let's move to Chambers Bay, and because we'll sort of go through them a little bit one at a time. Mm. The talking point before Augusta was Rory in the slam. The talking point before the US Open was the golf course, wasn't it? We weren't talking about Ken Jordan's speech. We talked, well, we sort of were, but it was in the back of it. The golf course took centre stage, didn't it? As you say, it was a, it was a very radical move for the USGA to take it there. Uh, it really did stand up as a competition venue isn't it? as as you said it was terrible for spectators and there was some interesting bounces and some funny thing happened funny things happened but but all up it produced a phenomenal event didn't it it did, and, and as I say, you know, the, the climax was was uh, extraordinary, was sensational. Now, I, you know, there are a lot of things that I think might well have been done differently there. And I remember turning up um, on the range uh, earlier in the week and and seeing uh, Jamie Donaldson. I said, "What do you think?" He said, "There's a sand pit in the middle of the seventh green." Uh, not the seventh green. Uh, <laughs> which, which one was it? It doesn't matter. Whichever one it was, mm. it, it, the seventh was one of the good ones. Um, seventh <laughs> and thirteenth, they were fine. Um, but he said, "There's a sand pit in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the uh, is it the eighth green? I can't remember." Anyway, and I'm saying, "You really?" And he said, "Yeah, there's just no grass there." And he and he got his phone out and he and he showed me a picture of it. And uh, and you're thinking, "My goodness me, this is this is ludicrous." And so then I went out onto the course and. And again, inevitably, you want to have a look at Tiger, see how he's looking. He was out on the having a practice round, so I, I watched him tee off on the sixth, and then uh, I walked down the side. I didn't have an inside the ropes thing because they were they re- seriously limited them for the media uh, that week. And I watched him hit his second shot into the sixth green, and the next time I saw him was emerging from a, a toilet after he teed off on the seventh. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, if you're following a group. You'd have no idea what the guy did on on that hole before you see him again next, and and that has to be wrong. You know, the go- a golf spectator can't see everything. That's part of the deal, but they they are not just part of the theatre of of the event. They are part of the stage, and and to be treated that way uh, was was awful. Um, I I sometimes think that Mike Davis gets too involved. It becomes too much about Mike Davis, and when he starts changing the pars of holes and deciding whether to go uphill or downhill on a par three, I, you know, I think that's meddling with it a little bit too much. Having said all of that, 
the way that he set up the final stretch of holes on that last day with a drivable par four on 16, a teasing par three on 15, uh, a demanding par three on 17, and a you know really good par five uh, to finish. You know, you, you look, look at the way that it finished. Look at how exciting it was, and you, you have to tip your hat to him. Mm, indeed, one of the things we do forget, and of course, Brandon Grace lost the tournament on the 16th, hit at OB. Jordan Spieth that, damn yeah. near threw it away on 17, where he oh, hit one of the most was. awful shots of the week yeah. and made a double bogey. And we forget that, don't we, because of what happened to Dustin Johnson on 18. But that tournament could well have been remembered for Jordan Spieth giving up the ghost on 17. That was an awful shot that he hit there. It was, and it came immediately after an outrageous putt for a birdie on, on 16, mm. where he'd hit a really poor pitch into, into the green. Um, and it, it just shows his, you know, Mike was talking about the, the X factor, that, that, that certain thing that he has got. And it's a, it's a tenacity, isn't it? It's, it's an ability to, to, to bounce back. So he makes an outrageous putt for birdie. It looks like he's got the, the tournament in the palm of his hands. He lets it slip, and then he makes birdie on the last okay it's a par five but he's still it, it was an exemplary way to to finish the 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 round um and and that tenacity is is certainly something that that, that sets him apart mm. it is amazing how uh, a great finish kind of rescues <laughs> some of these people i mean because you you really now stepping back a few months later and you read kind of what went on and uh the book and and you hear what players say they they really uh, have, a lot of players have taken a very dim view of, of Mike Davis for having had that golf course sort of on the edge Sunday night before. And, and then Dustin Johnson clearly has some very strong, and he doesn't get too riled up about much, but clearly has some strong feelings about what went on with that par switch at the 18th hole. And, um, uh, well, Jordan and just, wasn't happy with that either. Right. Well, no, he got his way, though, and that's a, I think there's yeah. a view that people have that uh, – I think that was the plan all along to play it the way he did Sunday. But this is the danger of getting involved in course setup the way he does um, and uh, trying to kind of keep it secretive before the, the, the event. I, I love the uh, mixing up of tees, but sort of the whole playing the Wizard of Oz uh, vibe that's that started to, to build, I think, is now we're seeing it, it backfire on him. Do you think he learned a lesson, Jeff? Do you think we'll see Mike Davis step back a little bit after what happened this year? I don't know if he'll step back. I think he will He will probably go back to being a little bit more uh, clear on how he's mapped out the setup over the course of the uh, tournament, maybe with prefacing it. Well, if the wind changes, we'll, we'll obviously reserve the right to move that tee or whatever, which is what he should do. Um, this whole sort of uh, leaving it uh, up to everybody to guess what he's going to do on Sunday on the 18th hole, that, that kind of thing is, uh, is a little bit, I think, has gone over the edge. And, and now Oakmont this year will be uh, a golf course where he won't be doing that as much. So there, there it's just a matter of the green speeds not getting out of control. Which they generally are, aren't they? That's, they tend to yeah. slow them down for the majors when they come around. The members put them at outrageous speeds. Clates, overall, it would be a shame if we remembered Mike Davis for being a medal, wouldn't it? Because what he's done for the US Open, it's a much better tournament now than it was before he took over as the executive director. It all started back at Torrey Pines when he moved the tee on the 14th. And he's done some fantastic things. It would be a shame if it was overshadowed by uh, what happened at Chambers Bay, where he really did probably inject himself a bit too much in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always been... When we played the Australian Open for 15 years, I would say, without the team markers ever being moved more than an inch from where the back markers were, it was just incredibly dull and thoughtless. And it was just, you knew it, it was just a hopeless way to set a golf course up and so uninteresting. And 
you know, I think what he's done is at least showed that you can play golf courses different ways. I mean, I mean, Jeff, you know, the, the Thomas's concept at LA Country Club of the course within a course and playing holes in, as par threes and par fours there was, you know, it's 100 years old, that concept. So yeah. Yeah. I don't really think it's a new thing at all. I think it's the way the game should have gone. But, you know, for whatever reason, a depression came and the war came and the great old architects died and it, it was a concept that never really took off. But, you know, you, you could argue that Davis is kind of resurrecting that Thomas spirit of being able to change golf courses around and play them differently because surely that's a better way than... Certainly more interesting, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. It's just that he, for whatever reason, people view it as him trying to make it about himself when he, he really is not, but it's it's uh, come off that way to players, and players tend to be very sensitive. Now, old USGA types, they, they also don't like it, um, but then you try to discuss with them when you say, well, the, the people setting up the golf course have always played a role. He just is doing it in a more extreme and thought-provoking way. I don't I'm not clear what you don't like about it. You've always moved tees and holes around every day. Why is this suddenly something that you find offensive? And uh, and he really hasn't, I would say, it really hasn't backfired on him in the way that it did with Tom Meeks, where you've actually really tainted a championship with with your actions. I don't feel he's uh, he's gone that far myself. Now, Chambers Bay, though, back to, to the course that's, that's in Ian's book, is... Uh, I don't think it's being remembered very fondly more because of the, the conditioning than, than the setup, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, indeed. I think there's some, I agree with that. some truth to that. And in the same way that it would be a shame if we just remembered Mike Davis for the controversy of change, it would be a shame if we just remembered Dustin Johnson for that three-putt on 18, wouldn't it? The extraordinary performance he put on at Chambers Bay. We kind of forget what came before, don't we? That was, a, that was an amazing display of golf, wasn't it, from Dustin Johnson? Oh, it was, and and he was he was out of it. He was in it. He was leading. He was, and then slipping slipping back, and um, and and you know there was there was you know, just absolutely everything going on. And again, he made a fantastic birdie on the on the seventeenth, didn't he? And 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 suddenly the seventy first hole, and and suddenly put himself in that position where an eagle would win it, uh, a birdie would put him in the playoff. Uh, and he hit driver five iron to 12 feet and then three putted. Um, and it kind of, it, that, that week was almost a microcosm of Dustin Johnson's career, wasn't it? Because there was, there was, uh, there was sublime golf. And, and, and when he is at his very, very best, there's, there's no one to touch him uh, almost. He makes the game look ridiculously easy. But he is prone to, to capitulations, as we know, and we know that, you know, he had to take time off the tour as well to confront his challenges and all of that. And you just thought that you know, I, I had a feeling that it was written in, in the stars that he would win one of the majors this year, given the, the, the backstory. Um, but but what's written in the stars for Dustin Johnson at the moment is is the is golf's ultimate nearly man. Um, and. I just think he's too talented not to win one of them. Um, but, you know, with each one that slips by, and I've said this about Colin Montgomery, and I've said this about Lee Westwood, I've said it about Sergio Garcia, and now I'm going to say it about Dustin Johnson. With each one that slips by, the harder it gets. Indeed. In, in well, you, have, you do have to be so lucky. Uh, people forget Justin Rose, I mean, the year he had this year, and he's he's had some dreadful tea time draws and, and uh, mm. he's played some incredible golf. As you mentioned in the book, he, he you know, his, his scores this year would have, uh, 
would have been incredible in any other year. Well, they were incredible this year. 34 under par, the fourth best aggregate in, in, of the four majors, wow. and he didn't win one of them. <laughs> wow, that's extraordinary, isn't it? it? It does point to that, doesn't it, Clates, in part. We anoint these players when they're young, oh, he'll win a bunch of majors, he'll win a bunch. There aren't that many majors to go around, are there? They're, they're actually harder to win than what, what we sort of suggest in the media, aren't they? They're really hard to win. They're really, yeah. And uh, there are lots of players that you, most players you assume would win more than they do because when they win, they put on a brilliant performance, and you think, well, surely he's going to do that again. I mean, Greg was the ultimate example of that. I mean, I mean, how many majors do people think that, you know, you can take guys like Westwood and Garcia who haven't won any, but, I mean, Greg was going to win 10 and won two, so he, he showed how hard they were to win and how easy they were to lose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That might be more the point, mightn't it, how easy they actually are to have them slip They're really easy fingers. To I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, look at, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, Johnson really, he, he was the overwhelming favourite after 36 holes at St Andrews. I mean, he wasn't, there was no way he wasn't going to win there. And he wasn't even close in the end. Indeed. And when you've segued beautifully to what I, what I wanted to come to next, Ian, of course, the incredible natural talent that he is, as you said, he's almost too good not to win golf tournaments, whether he worked at it or not. You know, it, he is just so naturally good. And as Clates points out, after 36 holes, he's all we were talking about. And that golf course at St Andrews, is tailor-made for Dustin Johnson, is it not? Uh, to just blast it past everything, hit it miles, hit lots of wedges, hole a few putts. What happened to Dustin Johnson at the Open? Well, he, he I mean, he made it look ridiculously easy, particularly on the, the, the first day. I, I remember he was playing with Jordan Spieth. I walked all 18 holes, um, you know, and, and I'd been paired with that group because it was Spieth and he'd won the first two uh, majors. But you just had this feeling that... that that Dustin Johnson was going to eat this golf course for, for breakfast, lunch, dinner and supper over the four days uh, and, and then be able to sit back with a very full stomach and, and, and be able to pour his claret um, from, from the finest vessel imaginable. Um, and I, I, again, it, it became... He, he faltered on the, in, in the second round and, and then, of course, the, the weather intervened and the, the rain and the wind, uh, on, uh, the, well, the, you know, just sort of mitigated uh, against him uh, as, as it did several players. But he, he, was, he was adversely a, a affected, there's no doubt about that, because he resumed his round, didn't he, on the Saturday morning on the 14th and then... Um, I think he, he ended up dropping a shot there and then they were called off and that was, the, that was it gone uh, for, the, for the day and, and of course they rescheduled and we ended up finishing up on, on the Monday and I, I think that the, you know, what he lacks in the cold analysis compared with uh, a Jordan Spieth is, is that tenacity to, to get through the periods of adversity and, and, and not have them damage his, his chances too much um, uh, I, don't, I hope that doesn't sound too harsh, but you know, judging no. him at the, the very highest level, um, that that probably is is what he lacks because naturally um, he has that power uh, and he can make the game ridiculously or look ridiculously easy with with golf clubs that that look like toothpicks in his hand um, and and has so much apparent control. But if it's slightly off. Then it's it's how does he deal with that and and you know the elements of a, of an open championship made it made it certainly more difficult uh, for him in that regard as well. I'll never forget his quote at the memorial one year, uh, Jeff Dustin Johnson when he was asked about the course he said, "Oh yeah, it's it's one of my favourites. I hit more long irons, six irons, and that sort of thing here than I do anywhere." <laughs> anywhere <laughs> <around>. <laughs> six, six irons considered. 
one of his long irons. If you'd taken a non-golfer with you for those first two rounds to watch Justin and Jordan, oh. I can't remember who was the third in that group. Who would they have thought uh, was the best golfer in the world, Ian? Well, they'd have thought it was Dustin Johnson, there's yeah. no doubt. And I'm just trying to think, the third man was Hideki Matsuyama, I think. Yeah, I think, think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. Um, but they, they, undoubtedly, they, they would have thought that it was, it was Dustin Johnson. But yeah, what did he shoot? 65 that day. Um, and Spieth, again, hold a, 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 you know, struggled a bit. He, he was fresh off the plane from the John Deere. Um, he got off to a great start, had a couple of early birdies, put himself onto the leaderboard immediately, and you thought, oh, here we go again. This is, this is sensational. But really had to grind out his score and then made a, a birdie at the last for a 67. And I remember Tiger doing this quite, quite often in, in his years at the, at, at the very top, where you think, well, he didn't play that well and then you'd think well he's, he's shot 68 67 something like that and you know Paul, Paul Drake Harrington tells great stories of of you know when he'd phone home and say oh dad I played terrible today oh really son what did you shoot oh 67 and his dad would say son you've got to stop doing this you know <laughs> <laughs> you're beating yourself up, and and it's a you know it's a great score. You have four of those. You're going to win more tournaments than than you'll lose. Um, and and you know there was a case in point there with Spieth where he, he didn't really play at his very best. He was certainly eclipsed by by Dustin Johnson on that opening day. And yet, as you say, if someone had had, had emerged, you'd have said, well, Johnson's the best in in the world. But Spieth had still posted a very very useful score. Indeed, and of course, among those hurt by the windows, and it was a bizarre week, a five-day open is you know, an extraordinary notion at the best of times, but Spieth was one of those, and Jason Day too, were both hurt by that being sent out on the Saturday morning, weren't they? They, they were. They, yeah. what, I think, I think Day made a bogey, maybe Spieth made a bogey as well. Uh, 38 minutes on the course, and yeah. it may well have changed. What was your oh. take on that, Ian? Oh, sorry, Jeff, you were... No, it absolutely. I was just agreeing with you. It it, it, it was incredible. Uh, that that side of the draw, I thought, just got a terrible break with that. But anyway, go on. Yeah, and Louis Tazen was out there as well. Louis yeah, Louis Tazen really was. Well, he punished. was. Well, it was his. Well, it was his ball that eventually saw common sense prevail, wasn't it? What did it roll about eight feet? Clates, if I remember watching the video, well, he, he missed like a, a three foot putt that ran eight feet past, and <laughs> he marked well, it and didn't put it run back up down. Blue eight and, feet past, yeah. yeah. Yeah, indeed. What was your take on how all that was handled? And it was pretty controversial stuff at the time. Peter Dawson obviously ha- did what he had to do, came out and took responsibility and said, you know, when we teed off, we said it was going to But in the end, when you look back, that, that's been pivotal, hasn't it? That 38 minutes of play on the Saturday morning in that Open Championship for a lot of players, Jordan Smith amongst them. Yeah, I mean, it, it was um, it, it was very unfortunate. I, I think they were desperate to play catch up from the uh, from obviously the Friday where so much uh, time was lost because of of really awful awful rain, uh, and then you know for the wind to to come in in the way that it did and disrupt uh, that that Saturday. I you know they I, I think. You know, Spieth made the point at the time and said we should never have been uh, sent out, and and I think he I think he was right. Um, it, it, it it's one of those difficult scenarios. I you know I I hate to be overly critical of of uh, Peter Dawson. I think he was a, 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 a on on the whole an excellent administrator of the of the game, but um, I think mistakes were made there, um, and they got unlucky with the weather. Um, but it's part and parcel of an Open Championship as to. You know which side of the draw you 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 get on, and and you know there were 
plenty of leading contenders who you know came from that wrong side of the draw, if you like, who who still became you know big big figures in that championship. Oosthuizen being a you know a case in point. It's easy to do, isn't it? Criticise from the outside, class, but it's not an exact science, is it? You've played golf a long time, played in a lot of tournaments, and. There's not an exact right or wrong, is there? There's no line where you can go, right, if that happens, then you call it off, and if that happens, you don't. It's, I hear you chuckling, Jeff. I'll come to you, get your thoughts on that in a moment. But, Clates, you've played in a lot of tournaments. I'm sure you've played in conditions where you've thought you shouldn't be, and you've sat in a clubhouse in conditions where you thought you should be out there. Well, I remember playing in Portugal one year when they sent us out to play, and they, we played four holes, and it was just, it was clearly, it was ridiculous. You know, we all came back in, and you know, we told you clowns that we shouldn't have been out there. <laughs> yeah, it was just ridiculous. But, you know, it's you're right. It's not the easiest job in the world, and they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Many times, so you. But you know, I, Jeff will make the point, no doubt, that it was the fourth <laughs> tournament in a row that they'd called off a win at St Andrews, including yeah. the Links Trophy about a month before it, where they only played an eighteen hole. Uh, they played eighteen holes before the cut there. So it's you know, it wasn't like it had happened before, hadn't happened before at St Andrews. Last four, haven't they? They've had wind delays of, of some sort. Jeff, I know this is a, a pet subject of yours, oh. and you were there this year. But reiterate what your thoughts on what unfolded. No, that was what that was the point I was going to make. When you when you have that many events in a row where you have to stop play and have an issue, and um, I, I I still think there's a story there we'll, we'll probably never hear. Also, but but uh, the the view of the caddies, and we know how reliable they are as sources, is that the superintendent, the greenkeeper. Did not want to mow the greens on on Friday, knowing what was going to happen with the weather, um, and uh, he was overruled. And I don't know if that's the case, but it it sure seems like it. And and it's it just was unfortunate. Again, they were saved by a fantastic finish. But um, the the point I want to make about St Andrews, the more I think about Speeds Week, when you when you realize how poorly he putted, uh, that four yeah. putt on the eighth hole was just unthinkable, uh, isn't it? It's unthinkable. unthinkable. It, it just is. I mean, we tried it that day after the open, um, and it, it it just it's a it's it's a brain fart. It's it's just a disastrous. I I don't know what happened, but so you have that. You have his uh, inability really to to quite figure out the greens the way he normally can. Uh, the draw. Um, it it just it's it's amazing to me that he really had so much not go his way or just not go the way things had gone the rest of the year and he misses the playoff by one um and that that is just uh it's one i i'm sure down the road he's not reflecting on it now but he will think back on that week and 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 it it is one that he will he will i i would imagine suspect he thought he in, in hindsight should have won by uh, four or five shots. Especially if you keep reminding about him, Jeff. Do you recall? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm not going to bring it up. But it is it, it is so tantalizing Without to think. Oh. If he wins that and we go to Whistling Straight. Straight. All of 2015 only as what might have been. There's so much sort of could have, I suppose, golf is like. Do you recall, Jeff, back in, it might have been 97 or 98, when Tiger made a huge stir because he'd won a tournament without his A game? Quote, unquote. Do you recall that? And the other players went ballistic and what an yeah, arrogant. Yeah. Are we seeing in Jordan Spieth, as you've just pointed out there, a player who contends without his A game? Is that the special part? Of oh, Jordan absolutely. Uh, and I, I mean, we've mentioned it on the show, or I have, that, that, that the, the most astonishing performance of the year for me was uh, Riviera, uh, where every time I popped in to watch his group, and as Clayton knows, it's such a great course because you can just jump around and 
I, I saw him in places I couldn't believe. I saw him hit a couple shots that were, were just dreadful. They were just dreadful. <laughs> he misses a playoff there by one shot. Uh, and that is his greatest skill. And it's, um, it's, it's not a skill we've seen with a lot of players, really, since uh, you know, we, we've seen it with Tiger. And, and Phil has it when he kind of wants to have it. Um, and when he doesn't, he, he's, he's not so great. Um, but he can hang around that way, too. And it's a gift. It's uh, it's it. It speaks to their confidence. It speaks to um, their focus and ability to just kind of not dwell on the past and keep moving. And one sh- the dreadful one shot at a time. It just speaks to so many different things. And then, of course, having a great short game never hurts. And um, uh, it's it's what I admire about him the most by far. It's just uh, it's not pretty. And and maybe that's why there isn't some of the excitement over him uh, that say with a tiger uh, who could be so much more dramatic. But if you love the game um, and you you love to see it played uh, different ways, it's really something to to behold. Yeah, I'm not sure whether you saw it. Uh, Jeff had it on his blog, and I've seen it all over the place. A lovely picture yesterday that Jordan's mum tweeted of him and his sister Ellie, who we know is a special needs, and uh, yes. on the beach at Maui. Is that maybe the secret to Jordan's speed? Is he maybe just more grounded than, in fact, most of us, having grown up in a family uh, who had, you know, with Ellie as a sister, and just he said many times it keeps him grounded. But is there maybe something in that that gives you an intent? It's not a learned skill. What Jeff's outlined I, there is it? No, no. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily the defining thing, but it can't do any harm, can it? Um, you know, the particularly when you know you with the results that you achieve at the top of the game you go through life with everybody uh, say telling you how fantastic you are and and that can that can have a d- different effects on different people uh, and it's one of the it's, you know it's one of the things that i, I admire I admire greatly in in speeth in that he remains a very grounded and humble human being um, in all my dealings with with Rory McElroy over the years, I would say exactly the same thing about him and and yet you know you look at the way that these individuals at the very top of the game are fawned over left, right, and center, whether it 's by fans, the media, the uh, spectators, the sponsors. Uh, you know, they're, they're constantly told that they are wonderful, wonderful people. And, uh, and one of the, the sort of enduring quotes of the year for me was, was what McElroy had to say after he missed the Open Championship and he turned up at the PGA. And we said, well, did you, know, did you miss it? What, what, you know, what did you think? Did you watch? And all this. He said, well, he said that the thing that struck me was that it went on and then the next day life kind of went on just as if it hadn't the open hadn't happened and actually i kind of got that it's not really that big a deal and um you know compared with his usual uh, position of being right in the thick of it all and i thought that was a really refreshing kind of perspective that i i think will help mcelroy going going forward as well to just keep things in in perspective plates as a player life outside of golf has its impact doesn't it how important are those things to on course performance you've played the tour for years i'm sure through good times and bad is the is the correlation direct and do those lessons in perspective help or hinder golf in any way the playing of i don't know you get too caught up in it probably you know, you know i think what ian said about roy was true you just get away from it and get it, certainly i mean just get it in perspective but you you get too caught up in your own game and how you're playing and you forget about the more important things, but 
Um, you know, one question before we finish on the Open was, I, even though they're, they're never going to do it, I thought it would have been a much better playoff if they'd gone out to the 15th tee mm. rather than playing three driving chip holes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a, a, a very, very valid point um, because it, it really paid played to, to Zach Johnson's uh, uh, qualities, you know, compared with, with Mark Leishman and, and Louis Oosthuizen. Um, and, and, and three of the holes were, 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 you know, of the same dimension. And, you know, thank goodness the road hole was in there at, at least because that provided really the only drama of those, of those four holes. Um, but it's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? If it's, you know, you know, just wearing the showbiz hat of putting on the show, you want to, as many spectators who are there to, to see as much of it as, as possible. And, uh, and, you, and you want the logistics to work at the end of a, a day when there might not be so much, um, you know, daylight around and, and that kind of thing. So I can understand why they did it that way. But from a, a purist point of view, yeah, wouldn't it be great to go 15, 16, 17, 18? You'd have had a bit of everything there. It would have been a much better test, and ultimately, the one shot that Johnson did have to hit, he completely whiffed it, which was the, which, yeah. is, which is being unfair, I know. But you know, the one difficult long shot was the second shot in the seventeen, and he completely yeah. whiffed. It. So yeah. you know, I, I thought that was somewhat of a disappointing kind of finish to it. That they they needed to play some better and stronger holes in that playoff than they did, ultimately. Isn't that the truth of all professional golf, big tournament golf, though, Ian, is that the logistics of the show sometimes dictate to the detriment of what pure golf might say. Is a, but It's just a reality. There, there are courses you can't go to, not because the course isn't up to it, but because there's not enough space for all the stuff that goes with a big tournament to fit at the place. I mean, it's a, it's a balancing act, isn't it, always? It's, it is a balancing act, and I, and I do think that the, you know, the administrators are also aware of, uh, more aware than they've ever been before of the, of the showbiz aspect of it, of playing to the television audience, and that's why, you know, when you get a playoff at the, at the Players' Championship, you know, they, what, they use 16, 17, 18, <laughs> don't they, you know? Um, and and, and where, how are you going to recover from a bad shot there, yeah. uh, you know, on those holes? So, um, it, but that's, you know, that's what the, they, they, they feel that the audience wants to see and, and, and that's why they, they set it up that way. Mm, indeed. We better finish up, so let's go to the last major of the year. And, of course, Jason Day, we haven't mentioned him much, but throughout the whole year, and he was right there on the fringe. He was, he was in, apart from the Masters, he was in every event prior to the PJ, wasn't he? He was right there and a part of the storyline right up till the end of the year. Even though we haven't it, sort of got around to mentioning him, he was there, wasn't it, he? He was, and he was a he was a compelling aspect to to it all, because if you remember this this he suffered that awful uh, bout of vertigo um, in the second round at, uh, at Chambers Bay on the final hole of the ninth, and and he was flat on his back and and literally just got himself up there, made bogey uh, on that on that hole, then came out uh, and played brilliantly on the Saturday, uh, earned a, a share of the lead going into the final round faded away understandably and then went to to the open championship and like jordan speed finished up one shot shy of the of the playoff um and left a putt short on the 72nd green as well to get into the playoff and i i followed him he was playing with jordan speed on that final day and and just seeing the agony etched on his face as that putt uh, came up short of the hole and and i really got the sense there that that he 
that was it enough i you know i am not going to be denied like this again uh, if i'm in the mix for a, for a major title and of course the following week he he went on and won very very well at the canadian open and then went on to to the pga and i thought a, a performance sort of reminiscent of spieth at the at the masters in the way that you know he hit the front and then held people at at arm's length and of course his closest rival was spieth again um, it, it was a brilliant way to, to, to finish the, the major year because uh, Day established a narrative that was going on there in, in the background and it was very fitting that he should come to the fore at the very end and you know the whole thing with Colin Swatton as his coach and, and then his caddy and being there alongside him to, to celebrate the moment uh, that, that he finally yeah, made it as a major winner. Um, as I said right at the start, you know, I thought it was a, a fabulous sort of exclamation point to end the major season. Mm. And quite the exhibition of golf at uh, Whistling Straits. Oh, <laughs> stunning, stunning. Yeah, Stag- twenty so. under, twenty under par. But it, it was, you, you know, you, you couldn't say, oh well, it was because the course was set up particularly easily or, or whatever. It was just, it was very tenacious golf. And and okay, the winning score was twenty under par. It, it, you know, it might have been sixteen un, under par, but it was the way that he beat the rest of the field you know, that, that was just so, so impressive. A driving display that we haven't seen since last year with McElroy, 2014 with McElroy for those couple of weeks around the Open and the PGA and the Bridgestone. Clades, is Ian on the money there, do you think? The missed putt for Jason Day on the final hole at St Andrews, could that have been the turning point in his career in a funny way that actually leads to the wins coming? Sounds crazy to say, doesn't it? Missing a putt might be the turning point. But it certainly seemed or felt that way from the outside, didn't it? As a player, can those things be the things that change stuff for you? Well, he said it was. He, you know, he, as Exactly as Ian said, he said, that's enough. I've had enough of this. But he's still got to go and hit the shots that are going to get it done. And I mean, his play, I mean, he hadn't won very much to that point, even though he was, we all knew how good a player. I think three times. Is- you know, he was 28 years old and he won three times. So, so he was, you know, there have been a thousand players like that before. But everyone knew that he could really hit it. I mean, he could smash it and he could really play it. The amazing thing was not that not how well he played from there to the end of the year, but how, how few times he'd won relative to his talent and the time he'd been out there. And, you know, I mean, clearly he just went crazy after that. He won, what, what did he win, four or five times after that, four times after that? Four times in seven events to finish and, the yeah, season. And, 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 and big tournaments too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All good fields. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, I first saw him play when he was 15 and he, he was, whilst a little younger than Adam Scott, he, he was clearly the guy that everyone in Australia knew he was going to be the next really good player from down here. It was obvious when he was 15 how good he was going to be and it took him a while to get there, but he got there in the end. Yeah, indeed. Can, can, Mike, can I, can I ask you a quick question? Do, do you... Do you um, sort of agree with with him when he says that the thing that was holding him back was a a sense of self-doubt um and that was what was holding him back in you know so many near misses not just in majors but in tour events you know in in that period until yeah really won the canadian open and then went on that run that we've just been discussing yeah probably i mean even that first one he won which ironically was Coming out of Jordan Spieth, that when he won the Byron Nelson, he, he, mm. the guy who was playing, I can't remember who it was, made a double bogey at the last hole, and Jason made a really wobbly bogey, and Spieth at 16 finished in the top 20. But so even the first time he won, it was it was a wobbly win. But um, I mean, I guess there was self doubt. But where, I mean, how do you have self doubt when you play like that? I mean, mm. 
he looked, he looked different. He carried himself differently, didn't he, Jeff? Do you think after the even after uh, after the opener at the Canadian, he was he seemed to be carrying himself somehow differently. It's one of those intangibles again, I guess. Same way Adam Scott looks different when he's got Williams on the back. He carries himself differently. Do you reckon there's anything in that, Jeff? Or are we just trying to fit a story because it sounds good? No, he definitely uh, has a confidence. It's well, just to come back from from what happened uh, at, at the U.S. and the Open is incredible. But uh, I would say we tr- we also tried the putt that he left short, uh, and and it was very easy to leave short. It was oddly slow for some reason, and so maybe somehow he's. We didn't really believe him in his post round comments that 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 uh, they, they were brief. I think somebody got him going to his car. Uh, and then the week after, uh, he he didn't seem upset by it, and uh, maybe it was because he just he looked at it and he's got that ability to assess and say I, I, I hit the best butt I could and I'll move on to the next week. And again, that's something we're seeing uh, that's really admirable about a lot of these these players that we're getting excited about because they do seem to have a a toughness um, that that allows them to just kind of keep moving forward, whereas we've seen some players really tormented by some of these things in recent years. Yeah, indeed. Ian, I guess what that's kind of dealt with 23. We could talk all of it, about all of those for an hour each and still not cover it all, but we must move on. Let's quickly, to finish up, let's look ahead to this year. Is 2016 another book year, for want of a better term, whether you're writing one or not, <laughs> but can we look forward to another year as memorable, do you think? Um, I think I think we can. I, I think this is uh, this this is going. In fact, I've, I've wrote my blog yesterday for the for the BBC uh, website saying that you know 2016 is going to be a year like no other in living memory, and that's obviously because golf is going into the Olympics. It's going to have um, a, a great many benefits. Um, you know, long-term benefits from being an Olympic sport. I'm convinced of that, um, and you know the 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 concertinering of the the schedule around July time is going to make it a, a bit bonkers, definitely. But um, you know, I and then you've got, you, you've you've obviously got the Ryder Cup to come as well. So I think this is going to be a really really fascinating year. Um, there will be there will be Tiger talk at some time uh, in in this year. But I you know I think it's largely going to be about the the three guys that we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about. You know, in in this conversation, you know the the speeds, the days, the McElroys, how McElroy responds to what happened last year, um, and a lot of uh, other exciting talent coming through, um, and and also in the women's game as well. So I I'm really really uh, very excited about 2016. I must say, yeah, indeed, as am I. I think for me, Jeff, it's that next level of talent. I don't, I can't recall a time when you might run through 20 or 30 young players as good as what they're... I mean, there are three that stand out at the top, but that's maybe us in the media do that almost as much as any. There is an extraordinary talent. There are the Kepkas and Finau and Justin Thomas and Daniel Berger and you go to Europe and you've got Marcus Kennel. The, the list is almost endless. I can't recall a time when there's been so many good young players. And I'm bullish on McElroy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just going to be a great year for him. I, I, the, the humiliation of the, uh, the, the injury... And all the comments he's made since, uh, since tell, suggest to me that he's he's and the way he's going to attack the West Coast swing, uh, he wants the Masters very badly, and he knows he has a window here of a few years, and he, he this is his time, and I think he's going to. I don't know, Ian. I, I sense you probably have a similar take, but I, I just sense he's going to as, as disastrous as this year was. 
I think he's going to turn it around because he's motivated and he's a little more level-headed. I agree. I, I think that um, you know he has he 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 loved being world number one the second time around. First time it kind of I think he was a bit blasé about it. The second time around, and then of course uh, he, he saw what Spieth did, and he and then he got himself injured. Yeah, that was the the biggest shame of 2015 was that we didn't have Rory McIlroy defending the Open title. At St Andrews, a course that should have set up perfectly for him yep. uh, in soft conditions, which would have set set up even even more perfectly for him, uh, and and responding to Spieth winning the first two majors of the year, we didn't have that, and that that was the that was the only shame of, of 2015. But I think we're going to have the three of them going at it this this year. The great thing is the geographical spread of them, and and you're right that you know, we journalists will will try and condense it down into you know a three three horse race and all that kind of thing it's it's much more than that i know but I, I do feel that that you know this could be a very special era for the game to have identifiable champions at the top of the game in the same way as tennis has had for the last uh, the last decade and 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 throwing the olympics into the mix as well uh, i think that's why i'm i'm so optimistic and very very like you jeff very very bullish for for McElroy's chances this year yeah, indeed i suppose uh, just to finish up close to me what stands out from what answer there is that you just I suppose it's luck in some ways. The geographical spread of those big three at the top of the game, it covers the world, doesn't it? We down here in Australia, we cheer for Jason Day. America's got Jordan Spieth. Europe has Rory. We all like all of them, um, but the interest now is worldwide, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. And you know, as Anne said about the women's game, Lydia Coe really, it'll be interesting. Now, now that she has won a major, she won the Evian at the end of the year, which I'm not sure why it's a major, but it is. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that might have actually helped to make it a major, Clates. Yeah, when you look you back in it. 20 years, but being Lydia's first will be critical in it being a major. But, but I think that what she's going to do this year will be really interesting as well because she's um, a tremendous player. You know, She's changed her swing a lot this year. I'm not sure for the better, but um, she played some great golf last year and it, you know, she's what, still 19 years old, so she's at the top of the women's game. And has she Fantastic takes on personality you? as well. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal young woman. A little bit like Spieth, though, too, Anne. Just You're not sure how she does it. You just add him up at the end and she shot 66. Yeah. How, and, how did she and, do it? Uh, but, but also, I didn't mean to interrupt, uh, Mike, but I, I, just, I just feel the, the fact that she is, she is such an engaging personality as well. And I think that's, that's hugely important for, for the women's game. But, you know, to get people to latch on to, to these figures at the top of the game, I think is vital for golf if it's going to grow. Yes, golfers know about the, the best players in the world, but what we want is, is the sports fans to become golf fans. Yeah. And, and these, are, these are the important characters. Lydia Ko has a certain charisma about her. So does Jordan Speed. So does Jason Day. So does Rory McIlroy. Uh, so does Charlie Hull. You know, here in the in the UK, um, you know, these are people that 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 are vital to the to the future of the professional game. I think. Well, you've just opened yeah. a topic that's going to be a whole other show at some point, but we won't do it now because we're we're almost out of time. I know Clates has got a tea time, so we must must let you go, Ian. Cannot thank you enough for taking part. It's been fabulous to hear your dulcet tones and looking forward to listening to some more of the BBC coverage. I always listen to the Open and the Ryder Cup before it comes on TV. I always turn on the radio online. It's always fantastic stuff, the radio coverage. So thanks for taking some time today. It's been terrific. 
No, great pleasure. Thanks very much for having me, Rod. Thank you. Not indeed. And to you, Clates, I know you've got a tea time. I think you're at Metro today. There's always yeah. a world-class course in the offing somewhere for you, isn't there? So enjoy that, and thank you for taking some time. Thanks, today. mate. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Ian. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers, Mike. And yeah, to Jeff, thank you, as always, Shaq, and uh, and for having a blog that hosts the podcast so people get to listen to it. So great to have you. Yes, and I will today. post a, a link to uh, where you can find uh, Ian's book as well. Absolutely. It is a ripper. Absolutely recommend everybody read it. And that wraps it up for episode 63 of State of the Game. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Looking forward to your company again next time on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.